Our scripture reading this morning is an interesting one. It's in 1 Corinthians 15, and I'm starting in verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Fool, what you sow does not come from life until it dies. And as for what you sow, you do not sow the body that is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body, as God has chosen into each kind of seed its own body. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown to dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in a physical body, and it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the physical and then the spiritual. The first person was from the earth, a man of dust. The second is from heaven. And was the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we also bear the image of the man of heaven. What I am saying, brothers, sisters, and siblings, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Friends, this is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. And so now, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth... May the meditations of all of our hearts together in this place and in all places be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, one of our church members, Sally Evans, shared on Facebook recently that rapid-fire questions are becoming the norm these days for her two six-year-olds, Wally and Finn, who are actually here today. Do you all want to wave? (laughs) Wherever they are, Wally and Finn, whether they are in the car or at home or out in the world, they are filled with these fantastic questions. Things like, Does your hair have feelings? Or does God have any babies? Why don't grown-ups cry as much as kids do? Mom, what is your life really like? (laughs) What is really impossible? Are dogs lazy? Do you believe that numbers go on forever? Mom, do you have any secrets? How long does it take to get to heaven when you die? When you lose your voice, do you still make a sound if you cry? What year was the earliest baby born? 
And then there's my personal favorite. Why are there only mans on the dollar bill? (laughs) Wally and Finn, I love your questions. I love your curiosity, your wonder and imagination. And Sally and Paige, I love the way that you are creating and nurturing space for that in your family. Although I would really love to hear more about how you answered some of these questions. Um, but maybe we can have a Q&A after worship is over today. Well, today's scripture reading begins with a question. And like some of the questions that we hear from Wally and Finn, it is definitely not an easy one. In verse 35, someone asks, how exactly are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have after they die? In other words, what's going to happen to this body of ours? Do we keep them? Do we leave them behind? And then in these more than 15 verses that follow, the writer goes about in a pretty complex and roundabout way of trying to answer that question for the church at Corinth. And to be honest, it's a pretty confusing text. It's hard to read y'all's faces with the, the masks on right now, but I could tell you all are looking at me like, where in the world is she going to go with this? And like many of us might say when we are in different stages of a relationship, perhaps It's complicated, is the most honest response to this question. But maybe it doesn't have to be. After all, Jesus rarely gave complicated answers to questions. In fact, Jesus rarely gave answers at all. He often responded to people's questions by asking them a question in return or by telling them a story, or crafting an image in people's minds to help communicate the answer. And as I read this text, it seems that the writer to the Corinthians is trying to craft two images to help answer this question. Because the text ends with this explanation that we each bear the image of the man of dust, And we each bear the image of the man of heaven. Or if I were to put this in my own language, I might say, we are human. We are dust, every single one of us. And we are holy, created in the image of God, beloved children of God, each and every one of us. And perhaps the question can't be answered without both of these images in mind. As Bible scholar Frank Crouch puts it, For Paul, our bodies bear traces of the dust that we are and the dust that we will be. We labor within these limitations, but we also have available to us a realm of God in which we aren't stuck with those limits. We can become, in Christ, a revelation, a manifestation of God's hidden possibilities, lying within us and waiting to grow into life that death cannot end. It's interesting, isn't it, that this text for today falls in the lectionary, in the liturgical year, between the end of the season of Epiphany and the beginning of the season of Lent. 
in Epiphany. Right now we are on the seventh Sunday of this season, and we celebrate the light of Christ that came into the world and continues to shine on in each of us. And yet, in just about a week and a half, at the beginning of Lent, we will be reminded that we are but dust, and to dust we will return. On one hand, Epiphany teaches us that we are all walking around shining like the sun, as Thomas Merton put it. And yet, we will put ashes on our foreheads and remind one another that we are dust. But perhaps both of these realities are somewhat incomplete without the other. I was actually struck by what a group of clergy in New York started doing a few years ago that I think beautifully helps to communicate this idea. They started mixing glitter into the ashes on Ash Wednesday. They did. The Glitter Ash Project encouraged clergy to mix glitter into the ashes and to represent the inclusion and celebration of LGBTQIA people within the Christian community. But it was bigger than that. Reverend Marion Edmonds Allen propped up a chalkboard in front of a metro station one day, and she began to offer sparkly ash to people, to this stream of morning commuters on their way to work on Ash Wednesday. And she told a reporter walking by that glitter and ashes is a symbol of the gritty, glittery, and scandalous hope that exists in all of us. She pointed toward how this had been seen in so many ways in LGBTQ folks, and she wanted this act to be a representation of that. That even though we are but dust... Our dusty lives are beautiful and sacred, and that both of those things are true. Well, the movement began to take off, and soon social media became filled with photos, and the hashtag Glitter Ash Wednesday was trending. Now, of course, Glitter Ash Wednesday was problematic for some people who came out against it for a variety of reasons. But this clergy group who began the movement have persisted. Their website states, glitter never gives up, and neither do we. It's a sign of hope. It's a promise to repent, to show up, to witness, to work. Glitter is a substance that clings to you no matter what, like hope that will not fade. You see, we can try our best to separate all that sparkles in our lives from the dustiness and dirtiness of it all, But perhaps Glitter Ash Wednesday reminds us that life is both brutal and beautiful. It's brutal, as our friend Emily Hull McGee might say. And just like this juxtaposition of epiphany with Lent, we can't fully appreciate one without the other. As Barbara Brown Taylor puts it in her book, An Altar in the World, Human beings may separate things into piles, as many as we wish, separating spirit from flesh, sacred from secular, church from world. But we should not be surprised when God does not recognize the distinctions we make between the two. 
Earth is so thick with divine possibility that it is a wonder we can walk anywhere without cracking our shins on altars. I believe every good sermon calls us to a so what kind of moment. If I preach a sermon and it is just interesting or thought-provoking, then I haven't done my job because I always want my sermons to somehow impact the ways in which you and I are being called to show up in God's world. And this morning's sermon and this morning's text are a bit more abstract, and so you might be asking yourself, what is the so what of this sermon? And so today I might offer us this. I think the world is hungry for a spirituality and a faith that is real. And yet so many of us tend to separate our church life from our real lives or our human selves from our holy selves as if those two things can't intermingle. Someone asked to meet with me recently and we were, when we were deciding where to meet, They made the comment, oh, is it okay if we don't meet in the church building? I don't think this conversation is appropriate for the church. And while I, of course, wanted to honor their request and to meet in a space where they felt most safe and comfortable, my heart sank when I realized they don't think they can bring their real self into this space. And part of my dream for us, Highland, is that we can continue to nurture and to become and to invite people into a community of faith that is real. Because you and I and the rest of the world, we can sniff out fakeness a mile away. And there are plenty of other churches where you just have to put on your mask to walk into the building. And no, I'm not talking about this kind of mask, but the kind that hides you from showing up as your full self, as who God created you to be. In the book I mentioned before, Barbara Brown Taylor goes on to say that there is no spiritual treasure to be found on this earth apart from my bodily experiences of human life in God's world. My life depends on engaging the most ordinary physical activities with the most exquisite attention I can give them. My life depends on ignoring all touted distinctions between the secular and the sacred, the physical and the spiritual, the body and the soul. She says, what's saving my life right now is becoming more fully human and trusting that there is no way to God apart from real life in the real world. And so my dream for us, Highland, is to live into a faith together that is real. To be part of a community where not only can we, but we are expected to bring our full and honest, our human and our holy selves into this space. And Perry, I have to say that this is the kind of community you have fostered and nurtured among our youth. And it is such a beautiful thing, week in and week out, to see them show up and to be fully welcomed as who God has called and created each of them to be. 
And so my dream, Highland, is that this can be an authentic and vulnerable space where we live into these honest and real relationships with God and with one another and with our world, with all that we are, the human and the holy, the broken and the beautiful, and we bring all of that to all of the God we know. Because I don't know about you, but I think a space like that could be completely transformational for the city of Louisville and beyond. And one of my favorite parts of the book, The Velveteen Rabbit by Marjorie Williams, the rabbit asks one day, what does it mean to be real? The rabbit and the skin horse were lying side by side near the nursery fender before Nana had come in to tidy up the room. Does it mean having things that buzz inside of you or a stick-out handle? Real isn't how you were made, said the skin horse. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt? asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he always was truthful. But when you are real, you don't always mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once, like being wound up, he asked, or bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become. It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't often happen to people who break easily or have sharp edges or who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off. And your eyes drop out, and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all. Because once you are real, you can't be ugly. Except to people who don't understand. Highland, may we seek to be a community of faith that is real where we bring our gritty and our glittery selves, our broken and beautiful selves, our human and our holy selves. Because I don't know about you, but I tend to think a community of faith following after Jesus together like that, well, it just might change the world. May it be so. Amen.